like an old hobo. On sad, lonesome, blue, I was fair as a summer day. Okay, team, here's the project. London, post-Olympics, the government is worried. And naturally, they've turned to us, a mid-range niche Doctor Who podcast, for help. How are we going to get these tourists interested now the games have finished? We need it to be sexy. Mysterious. Dangerous. How about this? We turn all the tourist attractions into death traps. Love it. I totally get where you're coming from, but explain further for the sake of Andy. He's just not getting it. Well... When Unit took over the tower in Doctor Who, they made the ravens of death. Why don't we extend that thinking to other London attractions? <laughs> attractions, more like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, talk about a tourist trap. Leave the witty badinage to Alpha, Andy. That's what he's there for. Yours didn't work at all. Sorry, I don't know what I was thinking. Apology accepted, right. What have we got, people? Let's get those creative glands expelling surprising secretions. Well, well, we could put autons in Madame Tussauds. Boom. Each pod on the London Eye could fill completely with sewage as it ascends. Love it. We could have snipers in the Tate Modern. That's the spirit, Andy. How about we hide a sarlacc pit under the Millennium Dome? And make Big Ben spit acid every time it chimes. Let's fill the Thames with sharks and mini nuclear submarines. And replace the lion statues at Nelson's Column with real lions. Can you feel the love tonight? They'll come in their millions to our fair capital to be maimed and executed in a thousand creative, horrifying ways by our national monuments. Black taxis of doom. Red buses of despair. Covent Garden of chaos. Greg's the bakers. What? I burnt my tongue on a pasty the other day. It really hurt. Great work, Oods. Now we only have one problem. I've backed myself into a narrative corner and I don't really know how to end the sketch. Let's... Just put it into reverse. That'll solve everything. Brilliant. And the best part is that the audience won't even notice. Little boxes just appearing. Little boxes made of space invaders. Little boxes by your bedside. Little boxes all the same. There's a black one and a black one and a black one and a black one. They're all made out of space invaders and they all look just the same. And you keep one as a paperweight And you keep one with your cutlery And they watch you while you're on the loo And they watch you while you shave With music and pinpricks And ray guns and electricity They're all trying to kill you And they all look just the same Hey guys and me who is not a guy. Is everybody ready for some ood casting? Sorry, I forgot that we're not actually in last week's American episode. Um, we are all here to record episode five of season five of the Oodcast, which has a sort of numerical symmetry that I really like. So here with me today, I have my sexy husband, Chris Sigma. Hello, world. And my, hmm... Platonic man friend. Platonic man friend, Chris Alpha. Hello. And opposite the light of my life, the little spark of joy in my souffle, Mr. Andrew Candish. That's awfully nice of you. Thank you. Imagine if you did have a spark in your souffle. I don't think you would find that good, would you? It would just get a bit burnt. Yeah. That's all right. I like crispy bits. Mmm, a lovely soup. <laughs> <laughs> 
oh, I just got electrocuted. <laughs> <laughs> I did get electrocuted earlier today. What happened? I just just went. She was very... eating the souffle <laughs> <laughs> whilst wearing a very staticky jumper. So anyhow, um, seeing as we're all here, why don't we do the Udcast news? <laughs> News. Once three is three, two threes are six, three threes are nine, and four threes are news. You do the maths. It's the Ucast News. The blanket release of a budget iPhone 5 has baffled consumers who wonder why when they try to make a call their face keeps getting stabbed. Apple have released no comment. The copyright holders for the Dungeons & Dragons role-playing game licenses have threatened to take the BBC to court over the use of a seven-sided die in the most recent episode. Their PR firm said that more information will be released just as soon as their clients had finished battling this army of orcs that ambushed them. BBC Wales has confirmed that it has received a full refund on the flickery light bulbs seen so far in the series and has ploughed this saving into something very special in next week's episode. This week, Brian Williams will mostly be watering the plants. Hang on, that cultural reference is a good two decades out of date. I'll get my coat. Three is the magic number. Yes, it is. It's the magic number. No, stop arguing. That's not magic. That's your lucky number you're thinking of. Three is the magic number. The New York authorities are spending the next couple of days ensuring the Statue of Liberty is securely bolted down, just in case. That was the Oudcast News, zapping you in the heart with 500 volts of current affairs and then giving you the kiss of life until you choke up headlines. Oudcast News So it's great to be back. I feel like I've come home. It's like the power, it was the power of three last week in terms of reviewing and the power of three in terms of the episode this week. What's the power of four? Squared? Um, No. Four times, wait a minute, would that be four times four times four times four? 256. We've had another of those Jibno ones. Jibno! Sorry. (laughs) Chris just turned into a werewolf halfway through that sentence. It's quite embarrassing. He's lost his pants and covered in hair. Anyway, so uh, what did everybody think of this week's episode? I liked it a lot. I think Chibnall is actually pretty good. I really enjoyed it with one reservation, but otherwise I I absolutely loved it. There's one bit that I was quite cross about as well. It was, without a doubt, Chris Chibnall's best work on the series, I think. Wow, we Um, said that last time too. We did, yeah, and he's getting better and better. You can't get any worse. I thought The Power of Three, it represented a really simple idea, this idea of a slow invasion using the cubes. And then it took that really compelling idea and just explored it from every angle, exploited it, milked it for incident. He'd really thought it through. He'd really found some amazing things to do with it. So all the different things that the cubes did, the way that they lay fallow, as it were. Mm. The birdie song. (laughs) Yeah, the birdie song. <laughs> it was full of really l- lovely ideas. Well, actually, just this one idea that he just p- 
pulled the thread of and, and just found every sort of great thing that he could do with. And then it was surrounded by a wonderful character study of the main cast. Okay, Mr. Articulate. Well, my feeling about it was, you know when you get a lovely massive balloon and you blow it up and you blow it up until it looks awesome and you think, oh, if I keep blowing anymore, it's going to go bang and that'll be kind of exciting. Mm, yes. mm. And then you let go of it and it goes... <laughs> Like that. Is mm. that how you felt the episode? That's was? how I felt. The I, episode I think. Was. I think everything Chris just said is what it, it proves your point, and sort of everything you just said is sort of it's full. It's failing as well because it's an absolutely brilliant setup, and then it just goes wavy, wavy. That's it. The time: thirteen point seven billion years ago. The place: the beginning of the universe. I'm having a. Bit of trouble deciding between designs, Doctor. Oh, really? Anything I can do? Well, yes. Have a look at these swatches. I'm definitely going to start by hanging a few planets out and letting things evolve slowly over millennia, you know. So I've started a galaxy off for practice. Ooh, a practice galaxy. Yes, it's going very nicely. That control panel over there is where I fiddle around with it. Lovely. Can I have a go? Of course. Some of the buttons are a bit sticky, though, so be careful. Ooh, we'll have that sorted in no time. That was a big bang. You sure you know what you're doing, Doctor? It's and, true, and, but and I, I don't think that the ending being rubbish meant that the episode was bad. No, I think you can just no, say, no. yep, the ending could do with some work, but I don't think it took away from the power and the majesty of the episode at all, mm, actually. No, I, I thought totally the agree. ending was very much like a part four of the classic series condensed into five or ten minutes. It was like, oh, so that's what's behind it all. We've got to defeat him, and we have. Bye! Burkhoff was nice and creepy though, wasn't he? he I'd was. like to have seen more of him. Oh, Burkhoff. I love Burkhoff. I saw his one-man show at the Edinburgh Fringe in 1990-something, and I met him and i was i was a quivering useless gibbering wreck when i met him do you know what i think he actually looked rather jolly as that yeah what, what do they call him a cistercian a shakri Xerxes. Cer- 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 that's a kind of shakri 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 yeah isn't that an eastern <laughs> energy thingy a shakri shakra 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 you have several you have, have one I? above mm. your head have i yes Where? <gasps> is it like a hat is it like a lovely hat? It's like a beautiful glowing hat. The reason that I thought that he was uh, so jolly is he had these crazy milky eyes like a slightly underdone egg. I got the feeling that he would be the sort of man who might approach you on the beach and say some sort of horrible double entendre about an ice cream and licking it and then run away. <laughs> that is very jolly. My other favourite thing about him was his chusks. What, do you mean his blue tooth thingies? His cheek tusks. I'm calling them oh. chusks. Chusks is <clears> a good word. Yep. Another great example of woosion there. Word <laughs> <laughs> Did anybody else notice that his chusks, the ends were the same as the ray gun end? Ooh. There were some amazing examples in the background of frames of callbacks to old Pond episodes. Mm. Did everyone notice the Stetson? Yes. No. Did no. you notice them eating fish fingers and custard? Yes. yes. Did you notice, and this is the best one, <laughs> the glass that they have right at the ending before they leave which has stripy bands around it, is the glass that the Doctor uses to listen through oh. the wall in the very first 11th Doctor episode. That's right. No, I didn't. <laughs> I find it quite incredible that somebody as sort of clumsy baby giraffe-esque as Amy would be able to get all the way through childhood to adulthood and not break a glass. Maybe she did break it, but when he rebooted the universe, he rebooted the glass. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so favourite character in the episode? Brian. 
Definitely Brian. I love Brian. Brian's so resourceful, isn't he? He's so resourceful. He brought a chair with him. That's my kind of man. Always <laughs> ready for a nice sit down and a cup of tea. No. I, I agree with you, though. I really enjoyed his uh, Brian's log. And his exit from the spaceship at the end on the trolley yes. with his open-mouthed... <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome wasn't it for listeners listening along at home Andy just mimed having a slack jaw <laughs> <laughs> Brian reminds me of my dad so much he's blatantly out of his depth in a technological world but he's brilliant and he's kind he's just such a wonderful guy he's mm. such a warm screen presence I loved him mm. You say he's out of his depth, but he uses a video camera to great effect and then he emails the results. I know people who have problems with email. Yeah, I know, but the joy he has in the simple action of emailing shows that he's not comfortable with technology. He's like, and then I emailed it. <laughs> I can't believe none of you have, have mentioned Kate Stewart. Yeah, well, was I was about the, to. Saving the brilliant for last she's pretty dreamy and I, a woman in I, control I, without being a cowbag yeah and which is you know an aspect quite often subscribed to female leaders within doctor who you know they've got this fatal flaw where they have to be slightly more violent or more evil than mm. the men to prove their point really well i'm thinking of examples from previous episodes like madam indian or the indian controller lady Mm. and here's a woman who has authority and uses it in all the best ways she was quite i think recognizably leftbridge stewart's daughter as well it's a brilliant beautiful piece of casting there yeah you need a red grave to pull off Mm. something Mm. like that even in her first scene she i don't know she puts one hand in her pocket and Mm. just strikes this pose and you're like oh she's awesome Mm. (laughs) The time, 44 BC. The place, ancient Rome. Ugh, thinking of killing me, eh, Brute? I don't think so. Nope, we'll have none of that. Ugh, et tu, Brute? That's better. Now we've mentioned her, it allows me to come on to the fabulous tropes that we've been exploring as we go through. A trope is a theme that's consistently repeated throughout a piece of popular culture, like a TV series, for example. And um, the tropes of lights going a bit wrong, which you guys mentioned last episode, happened here. Did it? When? Uh, there's a power cut and all the lights go out. Oh, yeah, and the doctor true. mentions oh. that, you know, there was a power cut or they must have drained the power. However, the lights did not go out in the hospital. They did not go out elsewhere. Uh, so it just happened around mm. him. Were there any eggs? Were there any eggs? Well, no, actually, it, it happened around know. him and Amy. And also there may have been Christmas. some eggs in the fridge <laughs> in the first scene, Andy. Yeah. I'm not sure. We're not sure. But there was uh, there was Christmas as well. This time oh, we yeah. got to actually see Christmas happening. Should yeah. I talk about what made me angry? Go on. Go on. Yeah. No, you've done it again. You've blown up people on a spaceship for no good reason. No, he hasn't. No, there was because no the one on Because the person wasn't there. No, spaceship. it wasn't the all person. This, it was all those, those people, people lying around. All those people lying around left behind. Yeah. They could have been revived. When, oh. when, when the doctor comes along with his smelling salts that are banned in five different galaxies or whatever, I'm like, but aren't you going to do it with the other guys? Or are you just going to let Rory and Brian get better i think the doctor would save them if they were innocent so let's say they were probably already dead having been experimented on and and i don't think you can necessarily say that they were definitely still there because you didn't see them again 
after they started negotiating with who and whatever the name of the mm. thing was. And I don't think so they could have evacuated everyone, not just Brian. The mm. doctor wouldn't have left them. So just because we didn't see a scene where he wheeled them out doesn't mean it didn't happen. Now, hold on just a cotton pick a minute. <laughs> I think all of you are confusing Doctor Who with somebody who never kills people. And Did you just call him Doctor Who? Oh, blimey. I think you're confusing <laughs> Doctor Who with now, the Doctor, I? the character of the series that we follow. Listen, he's somebody who kills people. It happens. He and never kills innocent people, though. He no, he never he kills innocent people. He, he never, he never just world? lets innocent people behind to die. He doesn't, he doesn't, doesn't does. meaning... In, oh, God. Start again. He wouldn't just let some he people does, die. He doesn't no. kill innocent people on purpose. No. The Ood were innocent mm. and they died. Mm. He kills whole species at the drop of a hat. Oh, not very often. Let's move on and let's talk about uh, what your peccadillo was. Um, essentially just the ending. Not not just the, the just, oh, well, we've got this massively complex um, problem to deal with. Oh, I'll just wave a thing at it. It'll go away then. The time, May 1944. The place... Berlin, Germany. Herr Hitler, what are your orders? The time is right. Let the invasion of England begin at once. And call it Operation Sea Lion. Ahem. I have changed my mind. Retreat. Retreat now to the Fatherland. You can keep Operation Sea Lion, though. I love sea lions. Yeah. Um, it was uh, actually my problem was more the last line. Amy doing the, the twee thing about the power of three. Well, actually, you two did nothing, so I don't see how they lost to the power of three. Oh, I think that's very, I mean, very... Def- well, no, no, in terms of actually solving the situation, they stood there while he waved a sonic screwdriver in front of a computer time, and then But we've seen... T- like, oh, yeah, she I know, stopped but... and lost. No, that's what the whole series has been so far, that he makes mistakes. I agree with that, but so... I just think it's a strange place to put that line. I know it's about them wanting to stop and not wanting to stop and then Brian delivering that really lovely bit of the dialogue where he tells him just to go mm-hmm. and he'll water the plants mm-hmm. and stuff because, you know, what other chance are they going to have to do it? But I just, I, I think it would have been a lot stronger without that line. I think we should start calling the Sonic the magic problem solvey wand because that would <laughs> just be a bit easier, won't it, in the long term? The time, October 1962. The place... Washington, D.C., USA. So, gentlemen, what do we know? The Russians are threatening to launch three medium-range ballistic missiles armed with nuclear warheads at Washington in three hours. We believe that they will act on this threat, Mr. President. Oh, really? What do you mean? Well, nuclear missiles. Sensitive and intricate negotiations with a trigger-happy and angry opponent in a suspicious and cold environment that could easily lead to the end of the world as you know it. That's not really anything to worry about, is it? Do you have a point? Well, you know what I always say, Johnny. Never underestimate what waving this around can achieve. Well, that's very pretty, but I can't see what you achieve. Patience, dear. Mr. President, the Russians have cabled us terms. They are considering withdrawal. 
I did notice that there were some really lovely moments from uh, Amy Pond in particular, the way the character has matured. And initially when Rory is saying, oh, no, we don't want to go on, turning away, she's not facing the Doctor or Rory. And you get to see the whole range of emotions flicker across her face as she sort of goes through, yes, I want to go. And you see her eyes widening and then Mm. like Mm. my husband disagrees. And actually, I don't think that Rory is necessarily 100% into running around in space anyway, because at the end, he, he looks a bit miffed. Whereas um, Karen Gillan breaks the fourth wall and looks directly into the camera before she wanders off. Because I believe that last scene with them stepping into the TARDIS was the last thing they filmed. I think filmed. it was the last thing they filmed, yeah. I agree with lots. I thought there were some lovely, lovely scenes between Amy and the Doctor. Two in particular stood out. There's the one where they're um, sat at the riverside mm-hmm. facing the shards and the skyline. Facing the green screen. <laughs> facing the green screen. <laughs> and and uh, there's another one before it. Yeah. The Doctor tells Amy that he misses her. And she just just smirks because it's just like the most unnatural thing for the doctor to say. Oh, the bit where he says, you know, where he asks if he can stay. Yeah, mm. Mm. yeah. There's a bit. There's a bit on the river where she admits that she couldn't live without him. That's mm. so like laughing at her younger self, and it makes me think that all the shallowness of Amy that a lot of fans reacted against in the first two series was meant to be like that. That mm. she's been written by this brilliant, I think, brilliant series writer who's plotted this change from this young girl to this wonderful, wise, brilliant companion now, who mm. is a journalist. Mm-hmm. She's she's become Sarah Jane, you know? <laughs> she's true. She, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people wouldn't mention her in the same breath, but to me, she has claimed that. She's a, an important companion. And I, I love having gone through three series of watching her evolve into that. And I think it's a really clever bit of writing. I like that point very much. And I was going to say that there were some lovely, lovely lines in that scene on the riverside where the Doctor explains why he travels and does what he does. Um, It's not because I'm running. I travel not to run away, but to run towards things before they fade forever. And and that is something that I've heard a lot from friends of mine who travel consistently. I'd call them sort of global backpackers almost. And they spend stages of their life in different countries. And it's just that they're trying trying to cram so much into Mm. their existence and enjoy and savour every aspect of life. The time, 2008. The place, London, England. Come. The IT technician has arrived to look at your computer. Great. Send him in. Ah, good morning. It's over there. Just get stuck in, won't you? The sooner you're finished, the sooner I can get back to making obscene amounts of money. Of course. Is it a software or a hardware problem? I have no idea. Just make sure the data doesn't get lost or the whole banking system will collapse. Oh, there's no need to worry about that. I see the problem. Won't take a moment. Just put that there and this here and... And... Whoa! What? Oh, nothing. That database looks empty. What have you done? Just reverse the problem. I mean, subprime mortgages just aren't going to do you any good. So I reverse that. It's all working now, in theory. Bye! But the bank is empty now. 
Well, I think we're coming to the end of the review now. So if we could all wrap up with a sentence or two encapsulating our views and feelings about the episode. In a way, it was a sort of reflection of the best of RTD's exploration of relationships between the main characters, but also the skin over the framework of a really clever idea of the slow invasion of apparently harmless cubes. What a brilliant idea. And I love the line, right, well, I've got worlds to save and swings to swing on. I love that line about how Amelia Pond was the first face that his face had seen and how she was imprinted on his heart. I think it was a real heartfelt episode, which I don't expect from Chris Chibnall, but will from now on. I thought it had some lovely little action sequences in it, especially the hovering drone cube attack, which is only a minute long, but it's a great little bit of well-paced action footage. Um, As I said before, I think it's a great idea that was really explored in great detail with great imagination. And even though the ending was a very silly, quick affair, it didn't spoil it for me at all. I thought this was a very special episode. Made me very proud to be a Doctor Who fan. I thought it was an exercise in finding the fantastic in the mundane. And it was a really great exploration of how the Doctor can't quite do ordinary. And what might happen if he's forced to fit into the mould of nine to five type life and just how badly that gels with his whole personality. And I suppose that's because, you know, all of us live every day in the cycle of work sleep food but we all like to have the possibility that at some point somebody might just come and scoop us up and take us somewhere incredible and you know that's something we can achieve ourselves but it's also something that's nice to see in action before i i uh, finish with the the haiku for the power of three i'd like to say in true cast style i agree with all of you (laughs) (laughs) so here we go the haiku for the power of three home life bores him as foe picks on wrong vermin Dad will water plants. Aww. Well done, Brian. Hi, could, could you help me? Certainly, sir. Welcome to Cubes for You. Is there a certain kind of cube you're looking for today? And I'm not sure. That technology sometimes goes over my head. We Shakri are an ancient race, you see. I, I mean, look at how withered I am. I look like the Emperor from Star Wars had an accident with some glue and two Bluetooth headsets. Will you be using your cube for business or pleasure? Well, a bit of both, really. I'm, I'm going to wipe out all the life on planet Earth. Ah, great stuff. Well, you're probably looking at the Cube Monolith series. It's the latest model, just came out this month. A real improvement on its predecessor. It's very pretty. Yeah, matte black finish, standard cuboid form factor, high definition blue laser display for text messaging, surfing the net, pulse readout or countdown to your prey's ultimate destruction. It can also change your mood, play annoying novelty songs, fly, bake bread, open up to provide storage space for snacks, breathe fire, track weight loss, alter the ambient temperature of a room, survive in the vacuum of space and angry birds. It's a bit small, isn't it? I can't imagine it crushing anyone. Maybe a sparrow if you threw it hard enough. Nah, you're thinking too analogue. This baby is totally digital. It can kill people in a billion different ways. Flying death drone, spiky poison booby trap, electrical heart failure zapper, land mine, giant mouse trap. Choking hazard? Basically any pitiless death-dealing fatality you can conceive of, there's an app for that. Excellent. Uh, What tariff is it available on? Well, we like to match our tariffs to the kind of people who use them. 
take a look at our Bonobo tariff. It's for young professionals who mix business with pleasure, probably management level or higher, no kids, active on social networking, and part of a pang-dimensional cult of galactic death. Well, that sounds perfect. Uh, included in the package, you get unlimited calls, unlimited text, two gig of data download, and up to 500 souls sent screaming into the afterlife. Per month. Per month. I'll take it. Wonderful. We can also take your old cube as part payment for the new unit. Uh, I only have this Rubik's Cube from my last invasion in the 80s. No, that's fine. That'll give you a 5% discount. But you'll have to sign up for a 24-month contract. Um, Now, would you like insurance against accidental damage? Like what? Mm, Like the planet blowing up or something. But aren't they totally indestructible? Mm, Good point, but I have to ask. It's company policy. Understood. Anything else? We have a deal on bulk buys. I could knock a further 6% off any order over 20 units. Um, No, I don't think so. Mm, Are you sure? Yeah, I'm trying to budget better. Are you sure, though? Yes. You're totally sure? Yes. You're sure? Yes. You're positive? Uh, Okay, I'll buy a million, but don't tell the wife. Score! Well, as the rattling gurney of time speeds down the tilty hospital corridor of the episode, we've reached the end. So it's goodbye from me, Laura Sigma. Goodbye from me, Chris Alpha. It's goodbye from me, Andy. Bye. And goodbye from me, Chris Sigma. Hey, take care out there. One more adventure lost in time and space Thought we heard the sound of engines Rory went full time and Amy was a bridesmaid too Still we can't escape the rush of you What has happened to us both? Can you choose between two lives with no compromise? Had a hundred yesterdays, our extraordinary world comes alive when we ride. We know every time. A lonely genius spinning through the stars Or a choice of breakfast cereals We could travel with him, cross the song lines, run away One more step beyond the looking glass What is happening to our lives? Crazy some would say Let's hope Brian will water the plants Fly away Had a 
Set aside to breathe Bought today, forgot tomorrow Both of us have waited Countless centuries of need Live on time that must be borrowed Had a hundred yesterdays Our extraordinary world 